from Toronto, Canada. This is the Rockstar Radio Show. Louder than the DJ. I said louder. Louder than the DJ. Only on Rock Antenna. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. Welcome to Louder Than The DJ. I am your host, Ben Kowalowicz. How the hell are you? Where the hell are you? Thanks for tuning in. I am beyond stoked for today's episode as I get the chance to talk to my old friend and singer-songwriter, Mr. Tim McElrath from Rise Against. We get to talking about COVID, about touring, their new record, meeting your heroes, and I highly suggest you stick around to listen to the whole interview. I will also be playing songs celebrating women in rock because God knows we need more of them. I'll also be playing some bands that I'm into at the moment, which hopefully I can introduce you to, or maybe you already know. But we're going to start this show off on a different foot because this weekend is Halloween weekend. So I'm going to be playing some bands that embody that Halloween spirit. Now, first up is a band that I heard, I don't know, probably in the early 90s. And they, to me, are one of the greatest living rock and roll bands in the world. And this is the first song that I ever heard by them. And I remember seeing the video and it being terrifying to me. (laughs) This is The Mighty Tool with their song Sober, only on Louder Than The DJ on Rock Antenna. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. Welcome back. That was White Zombie with More Human Than Human. Now, staying with the Halloween vibe, here's a band that I first saw in 1992 at Lollapalooza in Molson Park in Barrie, Ontario. The lineup at this festival was insane considering the time, and it was the first festival of its kind ever in Canada, and there was absolutely no way in hell that I was going to miss it. I was working as a pool boy at an old rundown pool at a townhouse complex where I lived in Meadowvale, Mississauga, and I remember I told my boss that I got tickets to go to this concert, and so I asked him for the day off. He blatantly said that if I were to miss my shift, he would fire me. So I looked at him and said, well, see you later, (laughs) and I quit. And it was a big decision for me at the time because I was broke and I needed the job. But like I said, there was no way that I was going to miss this festival. I drove up with my old friend Serge Camara and his beat up old Camaro and was jaw dropped when I got there. I have never seen that many people in one place in my whole life. And I was a kid and I was nervous and excited and overwhelmed. And I just, I don't know, for some reason, I just kind of felt like I was home. I was standing shoulder to shoulder with all these like-minded individuals who were sweating and moshing and singing, and it was the best. The lineup that year was Lush, Pearl Jam, Jesus and the Mary Chain, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Ice Cube, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and this band, Ministry. Now, I had kind of heard of them before because my older brother, Jay, who was, uh, you know, he was big in industrial music at that time, but I had never really listened to Ministry. They came on right as it was getting dark, and the whole vibe of the day changed. Their entire light show was this wall of strobe lights that were flashing the entire time. And I remember kind of being scared, to be honest. But I ran into the pit, and I got lost in the sea of people, and I ended up getting a good old-fashioned Doc Martin boot right to the face. And I loved every second of it. So to go along with the Halloween vibes... Here's Ministry with Just One Fix. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder, 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 louder than the DJ. Here's your host, 
Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. Thanks for taking the time to hang out. Okay, so moving away from the spooky Halloween vibes, I'm going to talk about some bands that I'm into at the moment. Now, the first band is a band called Turnstile, and my buddy introduced me to them, I don't know, a couple months ago, and I can't stop listening to them. I just think that there's something wildly refreshing and compelling to them, and I don't know, if you would ask me who I think the next big band will be, I would say these dudes. They're a band from Baltimore, Maryland, and they just released a new record in July called Glow On, and they also released this really cool short film that the singer Brendan Yates directed, and it's definitely worth checking out. Here's a song that's featured in that film and is off the new record, and it's called Holiday, and I suggest you turn it way, way up. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. That was Fever 333 with their song called Made in America. And I first heard of these guys a while ago, and I've been hooked ever since. I remember seeing uh, Jason Allen Butler sing his, in his first band called Let Live on Warp Tour. And when they broke up, I was so bummed because, I, I don't know, there's just something really compelling and captivating about him as a performer and a vocalist. And so when I heard that he started something new, Fever 333, I was like, I am definitely going to check that out. And I'm happy I did. I've never met the dudes or I've never seen them play live, but I can't wait till I finally can. They're a great fucking band that promote a great message. All right, so the next couple bands I'm going to play are a couple bands from Germany. And ironically, both these bands are touring together across Germany in November and December. One of these bands is a band called Itchy. Billy Talon and Itchy have played more than a few shows together, and we just think they're a great band and great dudes. And I have to take a second to say thank you to them because they helped play at Aaron, our drummer's FUMS charity concert, where they helped raise a lot of money and awareness for his charity. So just want to say thank you to that. But first is another band that my buddy Ole recently introduced me to, and I, to be honest with you, I don't know much about them other than they're a three-piece band from Berlin and that I can't stop listening to this song. This is Pabst with Ibuprofen on Rock Antenna. That was Itchy with Faust, and make sure to go grab your tickets to go see them with Pabst across Germany next month, okay? Now, coming up next on Louder Than the DJ, we're going to be playing and celebrating women in rock and roll. Stick around. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. Welcome back to Louder Than the DJ. I'm your host, Ben Kowalowicz. Now, I don't know much, but I do know that we need more women in rock and roll music. For way too long, this has been a male-dominated genre, and that needs to change. So I'm going to play a couple bands that help kick down those doors for the next generation. I remember working at a radio station called The Edge in Toronto and having the Breeders come in for an interview with my good friend Dave Bookman. I was really excited as I'm a huge Pixies fan, so I was stoked to get to meet Kim Deal. Her and her twin sister Kelly came into the studio with beers in hand and weren't very talkative, <laughs> but I was in awe. They were badass and they were real and they didn't give a fuck, which made me love them even more. Here's the Breeders with Cannonball. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. That was Hole with their song Violet. Now, say what you want about Courtney Love, but when Hole first came out, they burst onto the scene. 
And she was the first in that grunge era to just come out and lay it out there. And she was big and bold and bashful and unapologetic. And she was unlike anyone I had ever heard before and definitely needs to be mentioned in the conversation for women who were trailblazers in rock. The next person I'm going to talk about is someone that I hold very near and dear to my heart and is someone that I'm proud to call a friend. She is quite possibly the best and most important singer-songwriters out there today and has become a beacon of hope and light for millions of people around the world, including myself. She is the ultimate trailblazer. She is none other than the iconic Laura Jane Grace and is by far the most badass person in rock and roll today. Here's against me with Thrash Unreal, only on Louder Than the DJ on Rock Antenna. Rock Antenna, the rock star radio show. Louder than the DJ. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. And that's your new favorite song, and it's called Better Each Day, and it's by a band called No Bro. Now, No Bro are a four-piece band from Montreal, and they're actually going to be coming out on tour with Billy Talent and Rise Against across Canada in February and April. That song has been in high rotation in my house the last couple weeks, and I'm happy that I can share it with you. All right, coming up next is my interview with the legendary and incomparable Tim McElrath from Rise Against. Stick around. From Toronto, Canada. This is the Rockstar Radio Show. Louder than the DJ. I said louder. Louder than the DJ. Only on Rock Antenna. Here's your host, Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. I remember playing Warp Tour in, I think, 2004, and uh, we were just cutting our teeth as a band, and, you know, to be honest, we were just excited to be there. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have met Jay Bentley from Bad Religion, who kind of took us under his wing, um, and we got to ride in, like, the convoy of, like, no effects and bouts and solos and Bad Religion, which to us was just mind-blowing to be able to hang out with these iconic kind of bands. Um, and then... One thing that happens on Warp Tour that not a lot of people know about is that there's these two main stages, and then every once in a while they would bump up smaller bands to play on the main stage. We were fortunate enough that as a tour went on, we got to play the main stage more than a few times, and it was always a cool feeling when you woke up in the morning and got to find out you got the bump. Now, the other band at the time that were getting the same bump was this four-piece band from Chicago called Rise Against. And I was curious to see who these guys were, so I decided to meander over and watch. And I was blown away. I remember coming back to the bus and telling all the dudes that they, they, everyone has to go see them play. And then every day after that, we would go and watch them. And, and eventually, we got to chatting and got to hanging. And little did we know that that would be the start of a relationship that would last for almost 17 years and still going. Now, we've had the chance to tour together all over the world. And we've always had the utmost respect for them, both on stage and off stage. And we're proud to call them friends. And I think Tim from Rise is one of the most important voices and songwriters in modern day rock and roll. And I'm lucky and proud to call him a friend. And he is my first guest, second guest, I should say, on Louder Than DJ. Tim, how the hell are you? I'm great. I could listen to that all day. <laughs> what a preamble, yeah, huh? I loved it. Yeah, yeah. You, now you've heralded me in, so I hope I can live up to your <laughs> expectations. The bar, you've raised the bar. <laughs> well, it's true, you know, and it's a funny thing because back in that time, um, you know, uh, you guys were definitely 
just about to pop as well in the States, I guess. Um, and I remember watching you guys and just being like, holy fuck, these guys are good. Um, and I was just very, I was just drawn to the energy and the commitment and, you know, I don't know, it was, it was, it felt right off the bat that I was, uh, that we were aligned in some way. I know that sounds kind of strange, but I definitely felt like that's a type of band that you want to be friends with, you know? Yeah, that was I, and I, we felt the same way and it's kind of like I think it's something that to this day I know like you're probably like me it's like this intangible connection that I can't put my finger on or maybe even describe I just knew when I saw you guys it was like oh yeah like we all get into this for different reasons and we all have a different um, perspective on what it should look like on stage but like those guys and us are same, cut from the same cloth like we're all yeah and it- it's weird, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it was so great to see when I finally saw you guys and heard you. I was like, oh, right. It's like these guys are like they're shooting for the same bullseye we are, you know? Uh, well, that's nice. To, yeah. And I guess, you know, I and maybe now in hindsight, like it's maybe our age and just like kind of like how we grew up, where we grew up, the time we grew up, the bands that we, you know, were uh, inspired by. I think there was something special about that time that now, I guess, in some gross way, were kind of those bands that were kind of not saying that we're, right. you know, that people, uh, you know, we're, we're older, we're old rocker dudes right. now. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, we're not the spring chickens that are just coming out. You know, it's, uh, we're, we're 20 years into this thing. Totally. Actually, how long have you guys been together? How many years have, like... So 20 years is, yeah, probably a good... 20 years, uh, yeah. I think it's like, I first started playing with Joe in, like, the tail end of 99... And then wow. we really didn't play our first show until, you know, a year later in like like mid 2000. So, yeah, it's been about 20 years. How about you guys? Yeah, we're flirting with, well, I don't know. We started in 93. So, oh, wow. I don't know. A whole bunch. Oh. We like, <laughs> almost 30. Wow. So you guys were just kids. You guys were just. Yeah, we met in high school at our high school cafeterias where we played our first show, awesome. which is very strange. So this is your high school band. This is our high school band. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, and still, yeah, still, still kicking it. Not so many bands like that. You know what I mean? Like, um, like Deftones are like that. They, those were all guys that like met when they were like fourteen and fifteen years old. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they're still the Deftones. You know? Oh, that's amazing. Which makes me like them even more. Right. Um, yeah. But having said that, so let's kind of get into this. So um, being in a band for 20 years and touring, uh, you're very much a touring band like us. And that's kind of all we know. Right. Um, so to have been home over the last little while due to COVID, um, I'm assuming that this is the longest period of time you've been at home in those 20 years. Absolutely. Probably. Yep. yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, within saying that and just with the weight and how, uh, you know, how serious and severe this, well, it's still going, right. uh, is, but did it give you a chance to kind of, um, look back or reflect on, on you know, just exactly what's happened to you guys and how, you know, like for me, it was one of those things where we're always so busy and looking f- forward into right. the future that to have that time really made me, uh, you know, uh, be able to reflect on, on the journey itself. You know, did you ever, you know, did you have that same thing or, yeah. you know, what did you see when you were kind of standing on the abyss, you know? That's actually, it's funny you said that cause that's exactly what I think of. That's exactly what COVID was for me. It was this kind of moment to sort of take stock 
in everything that we had done because like you said these bands they're kind of like this constantly moving freight train you know what i mean that never stops and like sometimes we talk about stopping we talk about like taking a break you know maybe we should just like all go away for a year and it but it's always just talk you know we always end up busy again or a tour opportunity pops up or we start writing some new songs and so this was sort of like our forced sabbatical you know mm-hmm. and so in some ways it was the break that rise against should have taken a long time ago or like i should have taken personally and and like you said i'm always looking forward i'm never looking to like rest on our laurels or like look back i'm not like a nostalgic person but it was that moment especially when people were saying you might not do this ever again you know what i mean mm-hmm. there might not be live shows ever again you might not get on an airplane and cross the, the, an ocean and like go see a different country ever again. So in that moment you were like, Oh my God, I'm so grateful that I was able to do what I did. I'm so grateful for our career. I'm so grateful for the records we made and the people we reached. And that put me into this state of like nostalgia and like kind of like gratitude and just like looking back on what we've done and kind of like being in awe of it in a way, you know what I mean? Just like, wow. Like when you finally step back, you know what I mean? When you're climbing the mountain, and then you look back at where you've come from and you're like, oh, wow, like we, we, we walked a long way, you know, we, we're, we're pretty high up here. Yeah. And, and well said, you know, and it, <laughs> it's funny, like the small intangibles that you miss. I was talking to Dallas from um, uh, City in Color, Lex on Fire, and uh, this is about a year, a year ago. And we we're kind of chatting about the pandemic and, you know, how it feels. And he's like, I've never missed those, you know, uh, veggie burgers that have been sitting out for eight hours <laughs> in catering and like a warm Heineken, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like those, those small things where you're just like, you know, yeah, getting on a plane or, um, you know, it's amazing how you just like the whole mechanism came to a grinding halt, you know? And, yeah. um, I, I miss just, you know, being on the bus, you know, and, and, and as much as you hate the bus sometimes, but just that feeling of like, you know, that, that kind of makes it more real, you know, as, as now it just kind of feels like, um, you know, is that ever going to feel comfortable again? Right. You know? Yeah. And, but you know, that being said, you just finished a major U.S. tour. Right. right. During the height of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> right. So which is fucking insane. But, you know, w- you know, what were the that must have felt. How did that feel? Like, what were the, the biggest obstacles that you had to endure? Like, what were the things that, you know, um, that every day because you get so used to a pattern routine of touring. Mm-hmm. But now I'm assuming that that pattern would be altered. Right. Yeah. I mean, so we put our tour on sale around the time the vaccine was coming out and everybody was anticipating things were going to look way better in six months. Mm. So we we're like, okay, like let's put this tour on sale. We decided to take out the descendants, you know, our hero, Amazing. Bill, our producer of our records and the Menzingers, another great band. And then as tour crept closer, everything was looking really good. Everything like the people were buying tickets. And then like that first week of shows is when like, the the delta variant there was talk of this resurgence and we were, and that's when everything started to look a little bit scarier you know and so like yeah we, like we we announced the tour in this in this like period of like optimism and as we were getting out there things were looking a little uh sketchy again and so we acted accordingly and we were like let's try to make it to the finish line let's be smart about this let's ask our fans to be smart about this let's take this seriously let's try to get to the next show you know what I mean? Like, let's try to play yeah. the show and make it to the next show. And everybody was thankfully like on board with that plan. 
everybody was like, let's, yes, let's, let's do this. And so everybody was smart. I think that it was a combination of everybody being a little smart and like mindful and conscientious of, of the process. And then a lot of it was probably just luck. You know, I think we just got lucky sure. that we made it through. Um, and we've managed to play every single show except for one that we preemptively canceled because it was in Louisiana and they were going through a really rough patch of infections. And we really thought that the show would put the rest of the tour at risk. So we preemptively shut that one down. And aside from that, you know, we played for a lot of people and made it to the tour and it was incredible. And it was one of those things where nobody was talking about it as it was happening. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. out of sight, out of mind. Just being yeah, like, everything's fine. Exactly. Everything's fine. Yeah. 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 It's like when something's going really well, you know, you you sabotage it by saying, no, things are going really well. You know what I mean? So you're supposed to, you know, knock, yeah, knock yeah. on wood or whatever. And so it was this thing that no one would talk about. And so that last day, which happened to be Chicago, which is our hometown, that last day was like this huge, like just celebration. And we could finally talk about it. And we couldn't believe that we that we made it through. And I credit our tour manager, John Dunleavy. And I credit. He's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> greatest asshole of all of us. <laughs> yeah. uh, for those who know, John Dunleavy is a tour manager that has been with Rise for, I don't know, a thousand years. Yeah, about a thousand. And he um, uh, very graciously uh, did some tour managing for us on the last tour. So he, he's a good friend of both of ours. Um, now, was that a, like, w- is that a conversation that you have to have with like the opening bands as well to make sure that everyone's kind of on the same tip and the same vibe and that protocols are adhered to? Like, was that like, uh, was that important to do? I'd imagine it would be. And having like-minded people. Yeah, before we left, and this is sort of like uncharted territory. It's kind of like, what do you do? How do you do this? How do you, how do you be the headliner on a like this? What do you ask bands to do? How do you ask? Yeah, yeah, it's so, yeah, it's such a bizarre thing to have to do, right? But it's important. Important, exactly. And that's something John had to really uh, take on. And he took it seriously too. And when I say John, I really mean like the whole crew because these are a lot of our guys who haven't worked in a long time. You know, mm-hmm. so they want to work. They want to be on this tour and they don't want anything to mess it up. So it's just as important to them as it is to anybody else that these shows keep happening. And so John went to all the bands and I think we got really lucky. People were just like, yeah, dude, we get it. Of course. You know, there was no drama. There was nobody like hesitating. Everybody agreed to be vaccinated. Everyone agreed to like, um, keep guest lists to an absolute minimum, if any at all. And if we did have guests backstage, they had to um, submit a card or a negative test, that kind of thing. And for the most part, we just didn't really have a lot of guests. It was kind of like some some lonely backstages, you know, just like the four of us looking yeah. at each other. But, in that, but it was okay too, because as you know, like a show can turn into like your show, but you're also hosting. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there. It can get out of uh, out of hand if it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's mostly just hometown shows. Hometown for the especially. most. Yeah, for the most part, like we're the biggest nerds you're ever going to meet, so we don't really hang out with anybody anyway. Uh, but yeah, for it's uh, some some shows can be particularly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like did Aunt Louise, did Auntie Louise get in okay? Did she find her parking spot? You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You're. You're managing little dramas all the way up until you, like, you go on stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ex- little fires. Right. Um, uh, so let's talk about the record okay. because I think it's, uh, well, I 
I don't know. I think it's, uh, to me, it's probably the best record you guys have done in, I don't know, the last couple of years. Oh. This one, for some reason, just speaks to me uh, and it landed with me in a, in a very positive way. Um, and I know that we were talking earlier about the Blasting Room and working with Bill and with Jason. Um, I know you, how many records have you done with them? Five? Uh, I think it's six now. Six. Six, okay. Out of the nine. So... Is there like an ease, obviously there's an ease and comfortability that comes with working with people that kind of know you, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, um, know when to push, when not to push. Is that something that, you know, is like, have you ever thought about going anywhere else or is that something that's important to you is having that trust already established? So the answer is yes to both those questions. Like we've thought about going elsewhere and we have been encouraged to go elsewhere by like whenever we have a label or like management because it's kind of like i feel like labels and management they have a few um they only have a few tools in their belt you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> only, and they're all dumb <laughs> there's only so much they can say or do right they're not gonna yeah, yeah they're not gonna true. write the songs for you you know they're mm-hmm. they do their best to try to like uh you know that you've hired them to kind of be your coach you know what I mean? To like sure. coach your career. And really one of the only tool belts they or, uh, or tools in their belt that they have are to tell you to um, go to go to a different producer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, so true. Right. Labels love doing it. They yeah. love the idea that they have. Oh, I have your soulmate. I have this guy. Great record, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he could. You know, and you know, I've always been like a collaborative person that way. I don't see labels as the enemy or a management as the enemy. I want to hear an outsider's perspective. I think it's important. We're, we're too close to it. And so I've always want to listen. I want to be open to it. Um, but I also know like my own gut instinct about what is right for the band and the rest of the guys do too. And so, um, going to bill this time was definitely like going back to like our home, you know, our, our HQ, you know what I mean? Like our, yeah. where we make records with people that we love. But the previous record, we did finally um, listen to the outside voices and we went to Nick Raskulinix who made our album. Wolf. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And Nick is great. You know what I mean? We had a fun time with Nick making that record, but I'll be lying to you. Um, if I said that there weren't times where I missed Bill and I wish he was there sometimes, you know what I mean? I wish the blasting was there because there's something about our band that we're cut from this cloth that not everyone totally understands or like people think they understand, but they don't understand. And it's not even something that we're good at explaining. You know what I mean? You either know it or you don't, you know? Yeah. And so the blast has become this place where they know our strengths. They know our weaknesses. They have a foot, one foot firmly in like punk and hardcore and their roots, but also one foot that's trying to like bust that ceiling of hardcore and bust that ceiling of punk. And like, let's create songs that can compete with anything on the radio. Let's not just be a big punk band. Let's be a big band, you know? And that, I love that spirit of the blasting room. Well, two things to that. I think kudos to you for sticking to your guns and knowing, uh, you know, what's best for the band and your songwriting abilities and how sonically you want it to be captured because whatever that special dynamic is that you have with them works. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's hard to go and 
you know, um, walk into a room with a stranger and, and and anticipate and hope that they know where you're coming from. You know what right. I mean? Or know how your process or know how you get to the end, you mm-hmm. know, um, which sometimes can be refreshing and sometimes be inspiring and other times just can't doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something about this record uh, that I find is so compelling to me is that there's there are songs like very much rooted in the old school rise against um, you know what you're known for uh, in a lot of ways like Broken Dreams Incorporated and Monarch like these badass you know uh, badass songs by the way um, but there's something about this record that has some I don't know like deeper layers to it and there's these vulnerable moments I don't know that the really stand out to me and one song in particular is forfeit oh yeah that is dude that's a beautiful beautiful song thank you and it's uh it, i don't know for some reason it jumps out and it's just it was it's refreshing and inspiring when i listen to it and it almost it's like it has these different textures to it or like you're painting with a different brush type thing right. you know um and is that something like now where we're at in our career and at this stage mm-hmm. Is that something, a song like that, that just naturally comes out and you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to go with it? Or is it, you know, or is it something like, oh, maybe this one's a little too not, you know, doesn't fit the whole record? Like, how how does a song like that come to come to be and where you trust it and you play it for the band and be like, check this? We got lucky as a band early on where after deciding to put a song like Swing Life Away, which was yeah. our first acoustic, you know, our foray into acoustic music. After making the decision to do that, and after it kind of like haphazardly and accidentally becoming this like single, um, it gave us permission to do that. Like we gave ourselves permission to do that, you know, in a weird way it unlocked this level, you know, it was like, oh, we can do this. This is like, you know, to go back to my tool belt analogy, this is another tool in our belt. And then once we did it and we saw it work, we saw that our fans accepted that song as part of our catalog without expecting us to now convert to like a, a dashboard confessional type of band. And they just accepted it as like, this song is Rise Against, but so is this song. And so is this song and so is this song. And I feel like we got really lucky because at that point we sort of, we came in like the front door saying, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do, you know, deal with it, you know? (laughs) And luckily people kind of accepted that. And so throughout our nine records, you know, I've sort of sprinkled in acoustic songs, which I've always had this, like I I have this place in my heart for that, that, that ballad, you know what I mean? That like singer songwriter, like acoustic, like ballad thing. And so I've, we've done hero of war and we've done people live here. We did uh, the song roadside. And so we've all, and I have always loved that dynamic on albums too, when like you could bring it down for like a, a moment. And then that dynamic in a live show too, where I can just, we can be assaulting you with, you know, sonics all, all show, but then I can come out with a microphone and a guitar and just be like, okay, now I'm just going to sing this song. It's a little more stripped back. And so I think of forfeit as one of those, as was, as, as part of like, that part of rise against that tool in our belt. And then I, I attribute the blasting room to like, um, uh, encouraging me to make it more of like a finger picky kind of song. So like, cause I had it more of like a, uh, almost like a chuggy power chord type thing. Yeah. And then, um, there's a guy named Chris over there. He's like, dude, you got to finger pick it. And then when I did that, it was like, Oh, it had this whole different mood to it. 
See, but and well, thanks for sharing that because that's those are the types of small intangibles, and that wouldn't have necessarily happened if you weren't at the blasting room. Totally, totally. Basically, it was like because I want to. It was like power chords. Here. Yeah, I was just kind of just chugging along to power chords, and then he made me like do. Amazing. Maybe like give it this whole different vibe and this whole different mood, and then it was like, oh, and I hated him for doing it because I'm not a great finger picker, but and so now I think you are. So now I got to do it all the time. <laughs> that was that was one of those things where like, oh, like that's a whole different vibe. Like this is, you just changed like the feel of this of this song, and it's like that's one of those things. That's what that's one of those things you go to a good producer for, right? And you find yeah, you play your trust. Well, and that's also, and I mean. The one thing about that song in particular is lyrically, I think it's it's beautiful. It's a it's a beautiful song, and I don't think I've ever told you this, but I'm going to tell you now. Is that I've always um, there's few people, and I don't mean to sound crass, but there's a, there's very few people out there that lyrically. Um, I uh, I admire or that I respect, and you are definitely one of them, uh, and you have been for a long time. And um, I appreciate that. You know, you're you're a great songwriter, and you're you're a good guitar player, and you're working on your finger picking, which is good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's something, you know, uh, lyrically, like there's something that you possess where it can be poignant and articulate and honest, but it also has like this exactness to it that I think is, you know, that you don't see a, a, a lot anymore. Um, and, you know, I've been very fortunate that when it comes to lyrics, Ian and I have been working on lyrics together for 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's just how we've always kind of done it. Right. That's, you know, we bounce ideas off each other. We come up with themes. We literally will sit into, like, the minutia of words. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and for months and years, sometimes we have songs, you know. Um, but... One thing I've never asked is like when it comes to lyrics, is it something that you take that responsibility on all yourself or is it something that you uh, like, does the band ever chime in or have any input or, you know, because I remember like I'd be working on something and I'd be like, this is amazing. Like I, this is so great. And I, you know, I sing it with the band or whatever. And the guys are like, mm, it's a little, you know, it's a little wide, you know, it doesn't really hit the mark, you know, what I mean? and, you know, egos left the fucking door a long time ago. So that's never been play but it's just you know and then you kind of get to the point where it's like whatever you're doing whatever your contributions to a song are it's all about making the song better there's no personal um you know uh you need to be able to be being in a functional band which are is always dysfunctional in a weird way um but it takes listening to people now so yeah has anybody in the else in the band ever helped with the lyrics or is it something that they just bestow that trust in you or how does that come to be yeah, they've pretty much bestowed the trust in me. I've always just handled that entirely and independently. Wow. Um, and then, honestly, the only person I've let into that process ever has been Bill Stevenson. And, oh, cool. Yeah, and he he's like, yeah, he's, he's the only person I've really kind of like allowed to really go in there and maybe tinker with it. He's also the guy that if I show up with a song, okay, say it's like, it's vocal day and I'm going in on a Wednesday to like finish. This I song. hate those days. <laughs> yeah. So, and maybe you don't have all the lyrics done, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you're oh, trying yeah. to crank out, you know, 15 songs. You're trying to keep up with the, the pace of work. And like, you didn't quite finish this one. You got, you got most of it, but you don't have all of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm cramming like you would before, like, you know, 
for like a test or something like that, which is in some ways I know now after nine albums is sort of the way I work. Like I need, I need that deadline. I need that pressure to really kind of crank out like the, whatever I need to crank out. And so I'll have 97% of the song done. Right. And then 3% of it, it might just be like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'll kind of write something in there that I'm not entirely sold on, but I know I got to yeah. get, I got I to get into the studio. I got to make the song happen. And you know, it's 97% is good. 3% is kind of filler. And like, I will go sing it and then I'll finish singing it. And then Bill, who was on the other side of the glass would be like, uh, Tim, uh, <laughs> this is good, but there's like these a few lines in there that I'm not sure what you're trying to say, Tim. And I'm like, oh, he found my 3%. He found the filler lines. He identified them, you know? And that's kind of like how I know Bill is really listening. And that's kind of like how I trust Bill because he can even, I can't get anything by him. Like he knows if I'm not working to like my potential and he's listening to the song in a way that's, more than just whether I'm in tune or in time or my delivery, he's listening to the whole story and he's saying, you know, your story is unfinished. Like you have to finish the story, you know? And that's why I I let Bill in the process. So he has, he has held my feet to the fire on, on more rise against songs than I care to admit. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good on him. You know what I mean? Because that again, going back to that's what a good producer does, right? If there's something that the authenticity or something's just not, or what you're trying to get across. I learned a a very interesting thing uh, years ago. Um, There was a producer that we were working with on our first record called Gavin Brown and Gavin said to me, it's not what's going in the microphone, it's what's coming out the speakers. That's great. You know? And I was like, hmm. I did, and I was, I was angry because I wasn't getting something and I stormed yeah. out of the studio. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm thankful that he bestowed that knowledge on me because really that's kind of what it's all about. It's not necessarily what you think or what you're hoping people are going to get. It's what they're actually hearing, you know? Yeah. Um, so to have someone like Bill be able to help, and even those, like, that 3% sometimes can dictate the, the, the whole personality of the song. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I did a little bit of music before Rise Against and as a singer, my lyrics were almost kind of like stream of consciousness. They didn't make a lot of sense. Um, And then they were unintelligible. I was just kind of like I was a young, hardcore kid. Like you couldn't understand what I was saying. And there was something about when when we started Rise Against, it was like I would like my lyrics to make sense. (laughs) And I would like them to be intelligible. I would like you to know what I am saying. You know what I mean? And so those are kind of like marks that I want to like put down. I want people to walk away with like an impression of what I was trying to say and maybe an impression of the song. Well, that lends itself perfectly to my next question, because there's something um, that I've always been drawn to. um, And not just on this record, but over your whole career is that there's one thing that makes you stand out because it's really easy to say, this sucks. You know what I mean? Like, fuck it. Like, it's easy to point out the negatives, but there's, uh, there's something about your lyrics in particular that always carry an element of hope. And is that something that just comes like naturally or is innate in your abilities? Or is that something consciously that you try to convey and like get across? 
Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. It's 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 true to who I am as a person. You know what I mean? Like I do have hope. I'm a bit of an optimist. I feel like I have a responsibility to be hopeful. You know what I mean? Like I feel like this whole endeavor of doing a band, right? Like doing what we do, like making music, making songs, pulling people into our world. You know, if not, but for 90 minutes a night or whatever it is, or whenever they turn our albums on, if you're going to come into our world, I feel like this responsibility as like your ringleader for that moment, um, to not just drag you into this deep, dark place. You know what I mean? Like, it's not why I got into this. Like, it's not to drag you down into like the darkness that we all have. You know what I mean? That, that is inside all of us, but to like, instead like leave you a trail of breadcrumbs to get you out, to know that they're like the things that you're going through, you know, might just be blips on radars and to remind yourself that, that like you will get over this. Like we will get over this. Like there are more good things than bad things in this world. You know, we need to acknowledge the bad, acknowledge the darkness, but by acknowledging it, we're already on that, taking that step to making it better. And so that's something that I really truly believe and I want to be a part of that and I want the rise against world to uh, reflect that you know what I mean like I don't want a bunch of people streaming out of our shows staring at their toes you know what I mean and like just bummed about the world you know what I mean I would like to think that when they walk out of our shows like they're clenching a fist you know what I mean and they're thinking man I'm like I'm really inspired to go do whatever it is that you do like the next morning you know and that they're not alone in the feeling, right? That's a great point. Yes. Cause it, there's that a show can be like a rally. You know what I mean? It can be this camaraderie that like, just, just knowing that you're not alone, like that alone makes you feel so much better. Absolutely. And I just, you know, kudos to you because now more than ever that voice and that type of intonation and, uh, that's more important now than I think ever, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, especially with the younger generation who, you know, it's easy it's easy for people to kind of poo-poo the younger generation, you know what I mean? Say, say all these horrible things about them. Yeah. But I find, man, the, the people that I talk to, the younger, you know, the younger people that I have conversations with are so inspiring yeah. and bold and brave and aren't afraid to call shit out and go to the streets. And, you know, I, I find now more than ever that the younger generations are actually the ones that are inspiring me. Yes. You know what I mean? So do you find that as well now? Like I, like I show, cause you've been, you've done more shows than I have, uh, as of late. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, do you find that with the younger generation that they're, that, 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 that action and that ready, they're, they're always on the ready, you know? Totally. And I think that you've, you've probably accidentally hit the nail on the head behind the inspiration of our entire album, the nowhere generation, which was from our, like my generation, the old generation's casual dismissal of younger people. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. we poo poo this younger generation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then this record was kind of me standing up for them in a way and saying like, listen, there's a way people, the millennials, Generation Z, Generation Y, whatever, there's a reason they feel the way they feel. Like they've had the rug pulled out from under them. Like their tomorrow looks a lot darker than our tomorrows looked. Like there's a whole generation of people that are slipping through the cracks, you know? And so you can't blame them if they are a little bit jaded about 
the world that we created, the world that they live in, you know? And so this album was me kind of standing up for them because I feel like that was the story I was hearing no matter what country I was in, you know, like hmm. Rise Against Fans, like talking to me about like their anxieties and fears about the future. And at some point I realized like, I can't sit here and listen to these like millennial jokes anymore. Like there's a reason, like if you don't feel like you have a future at that, like, you're going to react to that a certain way. And then meeting people who, despite all of that, still had this boldness and this bravery and this, like, this enthusiasm and the way they wanted to change the world and throw out all the old rules and, and, and create new ones. That stuff is like, that stuff was not deserving of the casual dismissal that many of even my own friends were kind of happy to, you know, lay on them. Well, good on you, man, because I think uh, if we don't look, you know, <laughs> it, it's they're, they're going to be the ones that clean up all this fucking mess that we've created. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like I look at my daughter who's two um, and, you know, I, 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 I'm now much more aware of the world to which I want to try to leave for her mm. that she can, you know, uh, I don't know. They're the, they're the going to be the ones that solve all the problems. Right. Because we've created a whole bunch, not even so much us per se, right. but we've been victims of it just by association of where we kind of grew up in, you know, yeah. um, the time in the era. So, well, good on you. And that's, I think that's, uh, I think that comes out in the record. And I think that you've, uh, that goal you, you accomplished. And so kudos to Thank you. you. Thank you, sir. Um, all right, let's switch gears. Right. Um, now, um, We've been in this for a long time, um, and which is amazing and a blessing and a, you know, uh, a privilege, and we're fortunate enough to still be doing it. But I've often wondered, you know, because I, I've been kind of w like we were talking about earlier on in, in the interview about when I was standing on that, you know, the, the, the edge of the abyss and kind of looking in and mm -hmm. uh, thinking about some of the different people that I've had the chance to brush shoulders with, you know, um, people like Eddie Vedder and, um, you know, Dave Grohl for that matter, you know, like people that when I was first started playing music, they, they were like the upper tier echelon of everything that I wanted to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then now to have like conversation or these rare encounters, you know, it, 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 I literally sit there and go like, how is that even possible? That four right. kids from Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, got to you know uh, right. get, get to meet people like this. You know, has there been any of those moments for you where you've kind of been backstage or you've met somebody and you're like, holy shit, that's fucking blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Like, like I know. Well, even for example, like you just did a song, or not recently, but I guess fairly recently, like with Tom Morello. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how, did that, how does that phone call go? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I mean, Tom and I have become good friends over the last, like, decade, which is crazy because, I, you're like, like you said, I, Rage Against the Machine. Rage, I was a 15-year-old kid, you know, at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago in the front row getting my skinny ass kicked, you know, <laughs> um, watching Rage Against the Machine play. You know, that was, like, such a huge, a huge band. And so to, I think we met next, uh, him and I met, Finally, even though we're both from Chicago, we finally met in Austria at the Nova Rock Festival. To know great, great festival, played, yeah. And you know, immediately we're kind of like, yeah, we need to like, we need to be friends, you know. <laughs> and so I still talk to him to this day. We've been to like Cubs games together, which I'm a White Sox fan, so that was a lot for me to go to the game. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, to like 
be on tour with Tom and to kind of hear his stories and he has the best stories. Oh my God. Um, and to be out there with a kind of, not just like a musician, but a musician like from the Midwest, like from Chicago, grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, like I did. Um, and also one that has kind of fused politics with his art in this really effective way. And that's really been, you know, going back to what you're saying about not feeling alone. You know, sometimes you feel alone as an artist who's out there trying to talk about politics and then knowing Tom and realizing, oh wait, like he already blazed the trail for this to happen. And before him, you know, the clash blazed the trail before that. There's a long history of like politics and music. And so he's someone that's been comforting to like be able to reach out to say, when we're going through something or we're getting shit from people for doing something, you know, I could be like, Hey, what did did you, what did you ever find yourself in this situation? You know what I mean? And his answer is always kind of like, are you kidding me? Like we always found ourselves in that situation. (laughs) We lived in that situation. We were raging against the machine. We were always doing things that were just bumming people out, but they were always true to who we are. Which is something that you, um, you know, that, that, that torch has been passed to to bands like you, you know, and, and, but that's interesting, you know, because, and I don't mean this in a negative connotation, but I don't think of you as a political band. I think of you as a socially aware, moral band (laughs) that have good intentions and aren't afraid to speak out about, uh, injustices, regardless if they're on a political level or a social level. So I've never like, uh, whenever I hear like bands being like a political band, it's almost like you're nailed to this one cross that no one can, like, you can't move from outside of that. Totally. But I think you've been able to, and again, it goes back to your songwriting and lyrics, like you've been able to maneuver, like that's a major component of the band but it's not the only component of the band you know what I mean so I think that's a a beautiful delicate balance of that people don't just necessarily look to you as the um, you know to 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 as like the political um, barometer of what's going on but they they're but it's an angst and it's a feeling and that's kind of much like the clash and bands like that it didn't really necessarily not every song was about X you know but it was about the feeling that you got while listening to it. And I think that that's one thing that Rise Against does is it embodies that emotion of those times, you know? Uh, well put. I, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't know if that was a question or just a statement. <laughs> no, I feel the same way. Sometimes I feel like what we're singing about is just kind of common sense. It's just like sometimes what we're singing about is just holding up a mirror to society and saying, this is what this is what it looks like. You know what I mean? And so I don't ever think of ourselves as like this confrontational political band. So I'm happy to hear you say that because, you know, and there's different sides of our band too, you know, like some of our biggest songs have nothing to do with politics. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. You know, Um, but anyway, one thing that not a lot of people may know about is that Rise Against was one of the first bands to take Billy Talent out across the United States of America. Um, our very first tour that we ever did in the States was with the Buzzcocks, opening for the Buzzcocks in uh, going back to old school, right. legendary punk Not bands um, from the UK. But so, but one of the biggest tours that we ever did was when you guys took us out with uh, Thursday. Oh, yeah. That was, I don't even know what year that was. So, oh, God. <laughs> I think it was like 2008 or like. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, for us, that was a huge opportunity because we had never played in front of that many people before in, in, in America. And then the other tour that you guys took us out wa- uh, with was Billy Talent, 
rancid and rise against across America, which just even saying that lineup still makes me, you know, (laughs) makes me happy. So, um, You've always been incredibly generous um, and uh, kind to to us, and so just want to say thank you for that. But I know that you have this incredible ability that no matter where you play or what you do, you always have a killer bill. And I don't think people understand how hard that is to actually get good support that you respect, that you want to... um, uh, you know, uh, maybe introduce your fans to like just even you said like you were out with the Descendants and the Menzingers, right? Like two great bands, you know. But the Descendants are an old school band, and the you know the Menzingers, I guess, are not right old, yeah. but you know, kind of new. You right, know what totally. I mean? Um, so how how does that come to be when you're planning your your touring and your routing? Is it like do you have a list of how does it work? Because you like I know particularly how hard that fucking it's is. so hard. You know what I mean? I always, <laughs> I always think like. Um, so if you have, say you have a three band bill, right. And your band's going to headline. Um, the first of three is pretty easy. I feel like everyone always has a good idea for the first of three. Everyone's got that new band they've been listening to. They really, yeah, yeah, yeah. they, they want to give it a chance. Like it's their cousin <laughs> or their friends, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just some great music that and they don't draw a lot of people yet, but they're getting cool. And like, they're getting like, and you want to get out. That band is easy. Everyone has like a dozen of those bands like they can name off. And it's that middle band. It's tricky. It's that support band. The one that can, you know, draw some people is pretty established. And also like, maybe it's like the band that you want to, um, you want to bring in their fans because their fans might not be coming to your band's show. So you would like to introduce yourself to their fans, you know, or maybe it's something like the descendants where it's like, they're just heroes of yours. And you're just so excited to be on tour with your heroes, your heroes. And you want to introduce your fans to like, you know, the previous generation, like your roots. Um, or maybe it's just like, like, I feel like, like you and I are going to go out. And in that, yeah. in that case, that's just like, like this, like synergy that just is created by our two bands and our intangible connection. You know what I mean? Like that, I feel like just speaks to that person. That's like, they just see your like Billy talent. They see rise against and they just go, fuck yeah, I'm there. You know what I mean? And that's something that doesn't happen all the time. That's, that's, that's just something that nobody can just kind of create. That's like a, that's a poster that gives somebody this like visceral, like reaction. Like I want a ticket to that show you know so yeah well you know uh i'm looking for for those that don't know uh we're billy talent rise against are going to tour uh in canada so in april or something like that so we're very excited about that um and you know what i'm not going to take any more of your time brother but i just want to say uh thank you for being uh, a good human thank you for taking the time and uh thanks for just being just a, a a great person the world needs you and we're happy to we're, we're lucky to have oh, you well i'm lucky to know you ben and the whole band we're lucky to, to be out here sharing the road with uh, some great people and some great artists making great music and playing great live shows and still putting out amazing amazing music uh your new record you know all of it like well thanks brother yeah it's uh, you know it's it's strange to think that how long we've been doing this I know. but i still don't feel i don't know like I, 
at no point do I feel like we're the uh, like the old band. You know what I mean? Like I still feel as uh, I think our songs and the records and you know um, looking forward to getting back out and doing the shows. But like, do I not? I, I never in my wildest imagination would I think I'd be doing this at forty five years old. But I can't. You know, I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> the Renaissance. It's the Renaissance. <laughs> it's the Renaissance. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. All right. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm gonna hit stop record here, so cool. we don't have to do that anymore. I don't know how to do that actually. Well. That's a wrap. Just want to say thanks for taking the time out of your life to listen. And I also just want to give a big shout out to my buddy Tim McElrath from Rise Against for taking the time to chat. And I also want to thank Rock Antenna for giving me the opportunity to have the show. And to Claudia from Beastie Butterfly, because without her, none of this would have happened. So thank you to Claudia. And until next time, take care out there. Louder Than the DJ with Ben Kowalowicz from Billy Talent. Tune in every fourth Friday of the month. On air, online, on fire. Only on Rock Antenna.